Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Thank you, Pastor John. Will you guys help me thank John and Chris and the worship team for leading us today? What an amazing, what an amazing morning. It's been a while since I felt so emotional in a service, but seeing that many kids profess faith in Jesus and get baptized is just incredible. We have four more getting baptized in the next service. So God is definitely moving. Let's hear it one more time for what the Lord is doing. He gets all the praise, all the credit. It is amazing. And it was awesome to see Pastor Frank in there. Welcome, Pastor Frank. We miss you. That was cool to see you in the tank this morning. Hey, uh, we are continuing in a sermon series, Mission First, God's Plan for Reaching Your World. My name is Ricky Hemi. I want to thank you all for joining us in person. I want to say congratulations to the the parents and family members over here who got to witness their loved ones get baptized. And uh, yeah, such an amazing time. And thank you for those of you who are joining us today online. And I'm going to do a quick little recap and we'll jump into today's sermon. So this is week three in this series. In week one, you might recall that we learned about young Timothy and his faith journey. And if you remember Timothy's journey, it was quite simple. His grandmother Lois believed, then Lois passed on her faith to her daughter Eunice, then Eunice passed on her faith to her son Timothy, and Timothy passed on his faith to millions of Christians around the globe today through the scriptures. And so it's no crazy testimony, it's just generation after generation of faithful followers. And what we learned about Timothy is that his story is a beautiful illustration of how 95% of people come to Christ. Researchers suggest that for the vast majority of us, somewhere around 95%, faith is passed down by someone that we know, someone that we trust, someone in our oikos, as we talked about in previous weeks. Every one of us has a relational world, a unique relational world. Somebody in your relational world likely shared Jesus with you for the first time. Now, I don't know when you received Jesus. God may have used a pastor or a ministry leader to help you finally say yes to Jesus. But odds are you first learned about Jesus through somebody you know and and you trust. And so you too have people around you that know you and trust you. That's your oikos, your friends, your coworkers, your relatives, people at your favorite Starbucks or Dutch Brothers or In-N-Out or Five Guys or wherever wherever you like to get your your food. And you guys know what I prefer. I've already told you that every week. So your school, your neighbors, okay? God wants to use you to reach the people in your life because the people who he's put in your life, he has ordained them as your mission field. So that's what we talked about in week one. But in week two, we learned about the, the facts of the gospel message. If we are called to bring Christ to our relational worlds, What are we supposed to proclaim when we go and interact with the people that we love? What message are we to declare? And so last week, we talked about the actual facts of the gospel. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? How was he in fulfillment of everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament? And what we learned is that we are called to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. And here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus, his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection in our place for our sin. The gospel is the message that Jesus is the only solution 
solution for the brokenness in this world. Can I get an amen? amen? It's a message of good news. It's the message that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. And God has ordained you, called you to be proclaimers of that message to your relational world, to your kids, to your friends, to your coworkers, the people in your life. God wants to use you. You are his plan A, and guess what? There is no plan B. And so in this final message today, I want to encourage you now to go. Jesus says, go therefore into all the nations, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, You know who your mission field is. That's your oikos. You know the message you are called to proclaim. That is the gospel message. Now it is time for us as a church to put this into practice. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not. I don't talk about it ever, but my wife, Carly, uh, she'll be at the second service. She's a realtor for Keller Williams. She's been a realtor for a number of years. She was a realtor down in Palmdale. Now she's a realtor out here. And just this last week, she was in Austin, Texas for a conference for realtors. She had an awesome time. She got back and, and she was giving me like a little debrief about what she learned there and how much fun she had. And she said, you know, it's, what's so cool about these conferences is they bring in the best of the best from the, around the globe and people come in into a place like this and, and they share what they're doing that makes them successful and they talk about how to, to treat clients and how to be the best of the best at, at how, you, how, how you do the work of, of real estate. And she said, what's so crazy is they tell you all the secrets, they give you everything you need to succeed. All you have to do now is put it into practice. That's all you got to do. Take what they said, learn their lessons, and actually put it in to practice. That's what this message is about today. My hope is that I have given you your mission field. I didn't give it to you. Actually, God ordained it for you. He gave it to you. My hope is that you would understand and feel confident about the ins and outs of the gospel message. If you want to listen back at those sermons, I encourage you to check them out online. Now, you got what you need. Now, if you want to be successful, it's time to actually put it into practice. Today, I want to embolden you to put your your faith into practice, to become fearless gospel proclaimers to a world that's desperate for hope in a message that I've titled, Beautiful People. Will you guys pray with me and we'll jump into scripture this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you again for the baptisms that we just witnessed and for the baptisms that we'll see in this next service. I thank you for the stories of life change that are happening all around this campus and all throughout the week for the salvations, for people wanting to to step into their calling and into the mission that you have for them. And I just pray, God, that today, that if we are afraid to open our mouths for you, that you would begin to to strip that fear from us, to make us bold, to make us confident that you do want to use us. You can, in fact, use us. Even if we have a messed up past, even if we struggle to speak in public, Even if we wonder at times if we're going to have the right words to say, we are promised that we have the Holy Spirit and he will give us everything that we need. We just have to trust in you and lean into you. And so I pray that we would be a church on fire for you outside of these walls and that we would see the people we love most 
come to saving faith. Bless this sermon and our time in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up now to Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read it for you here on the screen as well. This is what Paul says. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That was what we talked about last week, the good news of salvation. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. That means they're declared righteous in God's eyes. With the mouth, one confesses, confesses their sins, confesses their need for Jesus, and they are saved. They're they're brought into relationship with God and promised eternal life. For the scripture says, it's the Old Testament, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Do you believe that here this morning, church? Anybody, everybody, doesn't matter how far you've, you've you've fallen off the path, doesn't matter what you've done in your past, anyone who calls on on the name of Jesus will be saved. But here's the question we got to ask ourselves today, a rhetorical question that the Apostle Paul had for the church in Rome, because they too needed to be reminded that it's not enough just to know the gospel, it's not enough to just know you're called to share the gospel, the question is, are you actually doing it? He says this, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Salvation is through belief. How are they going to call on Jesus if they haven't believed in him? And how are they to believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? And how are they to hear of Jesus without someone preaching about Jesus, bringing Jesus to the world? And how are they to preach Unless they're being sent out, unless the leaders of the church are sending people out to proclaim and to evangelize, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's our passage this morning. Now, right away, this passage provokes a very very deep and sophisticated question. Let's look again at verse 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here's the big question for today. It's this, can feet be beautiful? Some of you are like, absolutely not. Okay, when we think about all the amazing features of a human body, feet are usually the last thing that we think about. I highly doubt you have pictures of feet as a screensaver on your phone. And if you do, we will pray for you after service. And I, in fact, when it came to you like falling in love with somebody or, or marrying your spouse or whatever, like that, that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is the person I want to be with, I highly doubt it was their feet that, that you were most attracted with. And if that's you today, we're going to pray for you for that too. But for most of us, feet, when we think about feet, like that's the last thing that we, did, that we think is beautiful on a, on a human body. Feet, feet are usually Kind of appalling. And when you think about first century believers, okay, their feet were extra appalling. They were walking on roads, traveled by animals, wearing sandals. And so, I mean, that's all you need to know about how nasty their feet were. That's why it was such a big deal that Jesus got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. These are disgusting, feces-covered feet. Can feet actually be beautiful? 
Well, this passage makes a bold claim about what makes a person beautiful. Because something that appears to be ordinary and unappealing on the outside, feet, can be bestowed with beauty. That's because beauty, according to Paul, has nothing to do with the way that you look. You can spend hours and hours every day in front of the mirror shaping the way that you look, but you could still miss out on true, true beauty. You could have the finest clothes and the sweetest cologne and perfect teeth and perfect skin, but still miss out on real beauty. Your hair could be absolutely on point this morning, but in God's eyes, you could still lack beauty. That's because God doesn't determine your beauty based on your appearance. According to this passage, beautiful people in the eyes of God are rescued sinners who rescue sinners. That's what it means to be beautiful. Rescued sinners who rescue sinners. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Their feet are beautiful not because they're, you know, they're they're they got some amazing pedicures or manicure. It's pedicures, right? That's your feet. I don't get those, so I don't know what they're called. It's not because they have these pedicures that make their feet beautiful. It's because they use their feet to go into the world to bring the good news. That's what makes a person beautiful. What I want you to see today is that being beautiful has nothing to do with how you look and everything to do with how you love. Nothing to do with how you appear and everything to do with how you love and treat others. Nothing to do with your hair and everything to do with the fact that you are willing to put comfort aside and go and step into people's lives and share with them the need for salvation, the hope of Jesus Christ. That is what makes a person beautiful when they are unafraid of the gospel unashamed of its power and they bring that good news to a world in desperate need of God's amazing grace those are beautiful people and my hope for this church is that we would be a church of beautiful people speaking of beautiful people I'll show you real quick an ugly picture of myself so here's an ugly picture of me when I was nine years old so this was when I was nine, uh, me and my buddies, we, we built a ramp in our neighborhood and we were jumping the ramp in the middle of the street and uh, we were having a, a ton of fun. It was this giant ramp and, and I was conned into being the first one to jump it like always. And so I'm jumping the ramp and I made it the, well the first few times. And then uh, luckily a neighbor said, hey, you need to stop jumping that. You need to go get a helmet on if you're gonna keep jumping that. So I put a helmet on and then the next jump, I, I hit the ramp and instead of landing on my wheels, I landed on my face. And so I'm, in, I'm on the ground, on the asphalt, bleeding unconscious. Okay, I was knocked out. My friends are there. They don't know what to do. They're all stressed out. I'm bleeding. I'm not moving. And a neighbor from all the way up at the top of the street, his name's Richard Carragher, still a friend of mine, someone I admire and respect. He ran all the way down the street as fast as he could. He picked me up and he carried me all the way back home and he cleaned me up and I, and I woke up. I, the next thing I remember, I'm at home and, and I'm with my family and, and I'm recovering from a concussion. But Richard Carragher... That neighbor of mine will always be a beautiful person in my life. And he's, he's a beautiful person to me 
Because he's the one who saw me hurting and broken and laying on my face on the asphalt. And he's the one who jumped into action and ran down the street and carried me home and got me the help and attention that I needed to recover. Forever, in my mind, Richard Carragher is a beautiful person, somebody I just love and respect. He saved me from that. He saved my, my brother from a pit bull that was attacking his face also. So I don't know why our neighborhood was all about destroying our faces, but Richard saved us twice, okay? Okay, Richard's a beautiful person in my life because he helped me when I needed it. Who are the beautiful people in your life? The people who helped you when you needed it. The people who stepped up when others just stepped away. The people who came in to love you, to answer your phone calls, to let you vent, to share with you the good news of Jesus, to encourage you. Who are the beautiful people in your life and how have you been a beautiful person in somebody else's life? Who are you calling? Who are you texting and encouraging who are you getting to know? Who are, who, is there somebody right now that you are focused on? You are loving them and caring for them. And, and their life might be messy and things might be a wreck. And they may have crashed and burned. And everybody else may have written them off. But you refuse to write them off because you know how much God loves them. You know that God can turn our mess into something amazing. And so you don't stop. You don't quit. Because Jesus did it for you. And now he sent you back out to do it for somebody else. How are you being a beautiful person reaching those who are lost and broken and face down on the asphalt? Who is God sending you to? Are you engaged in the mission of reaching the lost? If you're not, it's a serious problem because according to Jesus, we have one mission. And that is to make disciples of all nations, to seek and save the lost. If you're wondering what Jesus was about first and foremost, don't take it from me, take it from Jesus himself. Look at what he says, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why South Valley exists. Jesus built South Valley for the sake of seeking and saving the lost. Jesus says this in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was Jesus' mission. I didn't come here so that everybody would get on their knees and serve me. In fact, I came here to get my hands dirty and to get into the messy lives of broken, lost people, get on my knees, wash their dirty, filthy feet. I left my throne in heaven to lay down my life as a ransom because I looked at this earth and I saw lost people everywhere. And so I came to make a way. That was Jesus's mission. And some of you are thinking like, okay, well, that's cool. That's Jesus's mission, but that's not necessarily my mission. My mission is to come and, you know, sing a couple songs and say amen in the sermon. And then I'm going to go on and I'm going to carry on with my, my walk. And, and I, just need to, I just need to do my own thing and, and live in my own bubble and then show back up to church on Sunday. That's my mission. No, that's not your mission. You know why I know that? Because this is what Jesus says. John 20, 21. Right before ascending into heaven, you know what he says to his followers? As the Father has sent me, 
so I am sending you. If you're a believer today, you have a mission. And when you meet your maker face to face, you will be evaluated for this. How have you engaged in the mission? How did you leverage your life for the mission? How did you leverage your home? How did you leverage your finances? How did you leverage your talents and abilities? How did you leverage your health? How did you leverage your unique relationships? How did you leverage everything that God gave you in this life for this one mission? That is going to be a part of your evaluation as a follower. Now, you're not going to be judged on the final day because we know that Jesus came and, and, and died for our salvation, that, that we will be white as snow when we stand in God's presence. We all, no shame, no guilt, none of that. But we are going to be judged according to our faithfulness. How faithful were we with what we were given? That's why some servants hear this phrase, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. How faithful were we after we were saved? Our faithfulness doesn't save us, but we will be held accountable for it. How are we using what we've been given to reach out, to make an impact. And, and the reason I'm sharing this with you because, is because there's a strong tendency for churches to focus inward rather than outward. There's a strong tendency for Christians to, to build holy huddles of people that are just like them rather than building relationships with people who are far from God and drawing people in to receive Jesus Christ. And, and so I'll give you an illustration of this. I came across this, this cool story um, and that it illustrates this really well. It's a story about life-saving stations, these stations that exist along the coast. And I got some pictures. as I, I'm going to read the story and you can, you can see the pictures as I read. On a dangerous seacoast, where shipwrecks often occur. There was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the life-saving station and give of their time and their money and effort for the support of its work. So new boats were bought and new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, 
and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick and very different from those in the club. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new life-saving station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club. And yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. The beautiful people in this story were those who put life-saving first. The beautiful people in this story story were those who sacrificed time, comfort, resources in order to save lives. But what was the recurring theme at each life-saving station? The recurring theme was that eventually a desire for ease and a fear of new people, different people, Different generations, people who didn't look like them, people who didn't talk like them, life started to get messy. So there was this fear and there was this pushback and they're like, oh my gosh, you're throwing us off. Of, of the, the club doesn't function this way. If you want to reach people, go start your own club. And they go and start their own club and eventually that club, or they go and start their own life-saving station and that station eventually turns into a club and, and station after station becomes inward focused. And instead of saving lives, they become exclusive clubs where certain people who just feel good together gather together and get encouraged that they all look alike and talk alike and then they leave as if nothing has happened. And I just want to state the obvious here. And, I, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to lay something down on South Valley as if we've totally lost sight of this because I don't think we have, but I just want to keep this in front of us. South Valley is not a club. We are a life-saving station. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because many of you have been a part of this church for a long time. Many of you are new to this church, and so you've been saved recently. You've been baptized recently, and you're like, yeah, I've, I, I came here because I was saved, and now I want to help save others. But I, I need to preach sermons like this because I know how easy it is for churches to turn into clubs. It is so easy for churches to focus inward instead of outward. It's so easy for Christians to focus on everybody like them instead of reaching out to people who are not like them and being a missionary like Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. We are not a club here at South Valley. We are a life-saving station. We are rescued sinners who rescue sinners. We are a hospital, not a museum. When we are beautiful people in this room, 
not because we look or dress or sound beautiful, which most of you do, all right? You guys are be- you look beautiful today. I-, I, don't- I should tell you that more often. You look beautiful today. Don't show me your feet, but the rest of you looks beautiful today. But what makes us beautiful as a church is not how we look, but how we love. We are willing to get into tiny little rinky-dink lifeboats and cast off into waters that are treacherous to save lost and dying people from drowning. And the reason we're willing to do it is because someone else has done it for us. His name is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? I want to encourage you to be a life saver. That's what Jesus has called you. That's why Jesus saved you. He didn't just save you so that you can wait for him to one day come back or one day you could wait to die and then see him face to face. He saved you and then he sent you out on a sacred mission to reach your family, to reach your friends. And the work doesn't stop here in Lemoore, which is why we support missions around the globe. Because the gospel needs to go forth to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, Jesus says. We are called to be life savers. And so my question for you this morning is, are you in the boat or are you living in a club? Are you in the boat or in a club? Look again at what Paul says in Romans 10. How then are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good News. Salvation through Christ cannot occur in a vacuum. It only occurs through the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, God reveals himself through nature. If you look at the skies, you look at the stars, if you look at plants, you look at children, you look at your own body, you see God's fingerprints everywhere. You see and know that there's a creator. You learn a lot about God through his creation. That is clear. God makes himself known through creation, but he doesn't make salvation known through creation. He makes salvation known through his people. And only when his people open their mouths and proclaim can those who are lost receive him and experience amazing grace, a life that was once dead but is now alive, eyes that were once blind but now can see. It only comes when God's people make the message known. And if you are a Christian today, you are part of God's people. You are his plan A for reaching the world, and there is no plan B. Now, my hope in preaching this sermon is that we would make it our highest aim to be beautiful people, people known for our love for Jesus Christ and his gospel message, unashamed of its power, unashamed of God's influence in lives when we are bold with the gospel. But this can only happen if our affections for Christ are greater than our affections for anything else. I can't make anybody in this room risk their comfort 
I can't make anybody in this room risk their money. I can't make anybody in this room risk their reputation. That's between you and God. God has called you to it. The question is, will you do it? You know your mission field. You know the message that you're called to proclaim. The question is now, kind of like when Carly came home from that conference, you have everything that you need. Now the question is, are you going to put these things into practice? Are you going to put some, some wheels to this thing and step out in faith and trust God to do what only God can do? And only when you see the gravity of what you've been saved from will you begin to be inspired to make the hope, hope of salvation known to the people around you. If you're a Christian today, you know that at one time you were drowning and somebody came along and told you hey I got a life jacket for you hey hop in the boat and don't just get in the boat and stay out here on these crazy waters I'm going to take you back to the life saving station aka the church and when you get to this church you know what's so cool about this church you're going to see people in there who are different from you. They talk different. They, they raise their hands and stuff during worship. It's really cool. You might think it's weird, but it's really awesome. But you know what? That church is so excited to see you. And they're so excited to get to know you. And they're so excited to hear your story and to come alongside you and to help you. And they care about your marriage and they care about your kids. They care about your finances. They care about your struggles, your pains. They want to hear you. They want to love you. They're going to wrap their arms around you. And guess what? There are leaders there in that church. They're just regular people, but they're leaders. And, and what they're going to do is they're going to equip you and challenge you to get out in the water with us and to start grabbing other people who were once like you and bring them back over to the life-saving station so that they could experience the love of Christ, the love of new life, that, that's, that's what I want you to be a part of. So, hey, get in the boat. Here's a life jacket. We'll clean you off. We'll help you out. But guess what? We're not calling you out of the danger. We're sending you right back into those dangerous waters because you weren't drowning alone. Your brother was drowning too. That friend of yours from high school, he's still out there drowning. What about your grandma? What about your son that you wrote off because they just, he just made so many bad decisions and you thought it was too far gone? He's still out there drowning. Who's going to jump in the boat and go get him? What about your coworker? I know he bugs you, but he's drowning. share with you a quote. Satan has a simple mission to keep lost people lost. And among numerous strategies, one of his favorites is to keep Christians convinced that ministry must be left to professionals. That no, not everybody does ministry. Only the people up on the stage, only the people who preach, they're the ministers. But to reach the nearly 7 billion people on the planet with the gospel, what we see in scripture is that Christ intends to use all believers in the work. Satan attempts to convince believers that only exceptional people used in exceptional ways will accomplish God's mission. He would love for us to think that only the elite of 
leadership can be used in God's mission to save souls, but God's mission is for all Christians. Extraordinary people for God are simply ordinary people who are willing to be used. Are you willing to be used this morning? God is looking for willing people, willing participants in the mission. He saved you and now he has sent you back out. And I wanna give you really quickly before we close, three ways to put your faith into practice this morning. Three things I want you to remember before you leave this place. Number one, believe that Jesus can use you. Some of you aren't sharing, not because you lack love. You actually do love the people drowning around you, but you're just afraid. You're afraid that you don't have what it takes. You're afraid you won't know what to say. Fear has trapped you and paralyzed you. You don't believe that God can use you, but that is just a lie from Satan. Jesus has saved you and sent you and intends to use you. It's time today to believe that you have what it takes. You may not know all the ins and outs of scripture. You may not have all the answers. You don't need all the answers. All you need is the gospel. You were dead and now you're alive. And that is because of Jesus Christ. Tell people about it. That's all you need. Believe that Jesus can use you. Number two, let your broken past fuel your present ministry. Others in this room feel unqualified because of things in the past. So my encouragement to you is is stop rejecting the past. Stop denying the past. Stop erasing the past. Instead, start embracing your past for the sake of ministry. We see this all the time in scripture. You think of the apostle Paul. He once killed Christians. Well, he used that that, that testimony as a way of reaching people. He said, hey, at one time I persecuted the faith and now I'm a proclaimer of the faith. If you were once lost and broken and you did some really bad things that you're ashamed of, you don't need to erase that. Jesus already dealt with that. You don't need to have shame or guilt anymore. It has been paid in full in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? You don't need to leave it behind you in the sense that you try to forget it and never dwell on it ever again. Instead, Jesus might be encouraging you to actually embrace it. If suffering was in your past, he may want you to minister to those who are suffering. If a false religion was in your past, he may want you to minister to those with false beliefs. If an addiction was in your past, he may want you to minister to the addicted. If you struggled with pride or greed or self-indulgence or a party lifestyle or sexual immorality or drunkenness, or maybe you were a part of a gang or in prison in your past, then maybe he is sending you back out into those treacherous waters to reach people who were drowning in the very same things that were consuming your life. Christ calls us to leave our old ways behind, but he doesn't ask us to leave drowning people behind. Let your broken past fuel your present ministry. And finally, number three, don't reach your world alone. Join a rooted group. We're we're doing rooted because we believe that discipleship happens in the context of community, that we need to be trained as disciple makers and disciples ourselves, that we we don't just 
This is not a one-on-one thing with just between me and God and I just naturally grow. In Christ, I need people around me investing in me and encouraging me and spurring me on and equipping me to reach the people around me. And so we've been challenging you for this fall to, to give God 10 weeks 10 weeks out of your calendar, 10 weeks of your time, once a week gathering with people in this church for a rooted group. And so I'd encourage you today, sign up. We're, we're, we're almost closing signups pretty soon. It's running out of time. Sign up, get in a rooted group. You could do it on the Church Center app. You could talk to Marcus after service. We want to come alongside you because we know that living for Christ is not a solo mission. It is something that requires community.